Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is Afternoon Pancakes, episode 28. My name is Jared Malott. I'm here with my good friend and colleague, Stephen Reed. And how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well today. Uh, exciting weekend this past weekend with some uh, NFL action and then the national championship game last night for college football. So oh, yeah. there's a lot of, lot of fun stuff to talk about. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. It's uh, officially hashtag draft season. Um, a lot going on in the football world. So for many, many people, uh, football is officially over, right? So um, lot, we are in the playoffs. We're in the throes of the playoffs. Divisional round last weekend. Uh, conference championships this weekend. Uh, we had the College Football National Championships uh, for obviously Division One A and also um, Division One AA, so I watched James Madison versus North Dakota State too. Um, so college football is over. Uh, what we'll do today, so we're going to give you our lineup up front and tell you what we're going to talk about. So there were a lot of coaching changes uh, in the NFL. We're going to talk revisionist about the divisional round. We're going to talk about the college football national championship. We're going to look ahead to the conference championships. Uh, and then we're going to kind of let you know what's coming up uh, so that Stampede Blue fans have an idea of what we're doing um, as far as outside of this podcast. Uh, and then, of course, uh, as a professional courtesy, uh, we want to um, start our podcast today by saying, hey, we want to wish uh, Query and Schultz the best. Uh, they were uh, let go today from Fox, uh, and we're sure they'll land on their feet. They'll find a platform um, for their show to continue. Um, but as podcasters ourselves, it's always uh, in good taste to say we wish you well, gentlemen, and good luck. So I guess we could really start wherever we want. There really is no set order to this. Um, but let's talk first. If, if that's okay with you, brother, about the divisional round last weekend. Um, yeah, that works for me. Okay, so we had four games last weekend. Um, the Texans and Chiefs played. Um, the Titans and Ravens played. The Seahawks and Packers played. And the 49ers played the Vikings. Um so let's kind of take a look. The first game of the weekend is probably the best place to start. So um, the Vikings played in San Francisco. The score, pretty predictably, San Francisco 27, Minnesota 10. Um, 
I kind of felt going into it that San, there's no way San Francisco loses this game at home. And I kind of felt like maybe the Vikings were a little overrated. Um, all things considered. Pretty fair. Yeah, that's fair. And this is something that we said last week that we kind of expected would be a blowout uh, for mm-hmm. San Francisco just because it's a bad matchup for Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we said before, San Francisco is possibly the most complete team in the league. And so you have that offense started started going once they Vikings got behind and it, it had to be all on Kirk Cousins. And San Francisco took away Dalvin Cook. Like they're they didn't want anything. Like they didn't want any part of it. Um, you know, and and the Vikings coaching staff, like that, their play calling was was confusing. Like they're running it uh, down 17 with like three minutes left in the fourth quarter, and not throwing the ball. And you've got you know Stephon Diggs is uh, you know rumored to want out uh, of Minnesota. Because it's just not a good situation. Yeah, um, it's a little bit for, crowded of a receiver room, right? So, yeah. well, as it's long not as even Adam... crowded. Like it's Adam Thielen, and <laughs> and that's it. Like it's Adam Thielen, and and Kyle Rudolph in the end zone, you know, for for anything in the red zone. Um, yeah. And then there's Diggs, but I sit there and I go, all right, so what's like it's kind of like playing with a game manager quarterback versus like playing with a, like an elite quarterback. And Diggs wants to play with a guy that's going to get him the ball and he doesn't have faith. It doesn't appear that he has faith in Kirk cousins to get him the ball. And based on how that game went, I don't think a lot of people have faith in Kirk cousins to get him the ball. So, you know, well, obviously, Credit to the San Francisco defense for forcing Cousins 21 of 29, 172 yards with a touchdown and an interception. But the bigger story, obviously, is six sacks um, by that San Francisco defense. And then because numbers matter, Dalvin Cook, nine carries, 18 yards. Um, and then really the only bright spot for the Vikings was Stephon Diggs, two receptions, 57 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, however, the real story of the game here for me is San Francisco's running game. Um, Tevin Coleman, 22 carries, 105 yards, two touchdowns, and Raheem Mostert, 12 carries, 58 yards. Uh, between them, that's 34 for 160, and if you just do the math in your head, it's like five yards a carry. And what, we, what have we always said? If you run the ball effectively, passing game isn't nearly as relevant and as a result, the game ends up not being very relevant. Um, and then, obviously, defensively, uh, Bosa, six tackles, two sacks, two tackles for loss. Uh, certainly having his... I would I would hate to say call that a coming out party, because he's kind of a known quantity, right? But uh, had a, just a monster game um, Saturday. And then, obviously, the in my eyes, the surprise of the weekend, uh, pleasantly, Tennessee goes into Baltimore and beat the brakes off the Ravens 28-12 to um, after going into Foxborough and snuffing the Patriots, right? Um, 
the story, obviously, Derrick Henry, 30 carries for 195 yards. And I kind of did a little looking around for some Derrick Henry media, and I came away. I like the guy. Um, the Alabama product. And something to keep in mind, I never realized this until Derrick Henry started this tilt uh, into greatness. At one point, the Alabama Crimson Tide backfield had Alvin Kamara, Derrick Henry, Mark Ingram. Was loaded. Mark Ingram, and there was another player. There's another guy. Uh, oh, Kenyon Drake. Yeah. Like, think about that. Just what? Um, like, what? How much is Saban paying these guys? Well, now like, they can that's... pay him legally. So we're about oh. to find out when these guys have to pay yeah. taxes in college. Good luck. Yeah, um, I don't think those kids are going to realize that. But, yeah. And the Tennessee and then, defense forced Lamar Jackson. They Basically what, what Tennessee did was put eight or more people in the box, as we call it, four-man fronts, four linebackers, and just force Lamar Jackson to pass. And for the record – They said it. They said it on the – after in, in all the player interviews is they said, look, we wanted to keep Lamar Jackson, you know, in the pocket. We wanted to make sure he didn't scramble and we wanted to make sure he threw outside, you know, outside the numbers. That's where we want to make him throw because, and, and that's what they did. And they, they were so effective. And it's something that we brought up last week is that, you know, this was the surprise game of the weekend. Like, I don't think anybody really expected the Titans to beat the Ravens. Right. Um, but at the same time, we said on the podcast last week, don't be surprised if the Titans keep this close, if they can pull it out. Now, I don't think anybody expected the Titans to go up 14-0 on the Ravens that quickly. Um, but the Titans' defense got turnovers, and the offense was able to to put it in for touchdowns. Oh, yeah. And that's eh, against a high-powered offense. If you can you can score some points quickly and and are able to stifle them defensively, You've got a game, and and the Titans obviously were able to do it, so good for them. For perspective, Lamar Jackson, 508 yards of offense, three turnovers, was sacked four times. Um, I was thinking about, um, I believe it's Matt Miller that posited on Twitter, when is the last time a single individual had 500 yards of offense and lost? And the only accepted argument is that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, had 500 or more total yards offense and only scored three points. Uh, So while it's happened, it certainly doesn't happen very often. Um, And again, this is something that I've I've talked about ad nauseum. Anytime you kick a field goal when you had first and goal you're probably losing that game because if your opponent gets a red zone opportunity, there's a well above 50% chance they score a touchdown. Just look at the data, right? The the average to good NFL teams have a 50 high 50s to low 60% chance of scoring a touchdown in the red zone. And when you're lining up and you kicking four field goals, right, or in their case, a couple, it just kind of tells you uh, where the game is headed, especially when Tennessee's up 14 to nothing, and the and the best you can muster is a pair of field goals in the second quarter. Uh, so props 
are due uh, primarily, obviously you want to say, hey, Derrick Henry did the heavy lifting, uh, but Mike Vrabel is a hell of a football coach. Right? And, and I questioned his hiring, like openly mocked it on Twitter when it first mm-hmm. happened. Oh, yeah. And because I'm like, the guy has no experience. Like, and, you know, good for, for Tennessee and that ownership to, to have the foresight to to jump in with him because he is definitely a, a leader and those guys will follow him through it, through anything. And uh, it's it's interesting because people made the joke that the Tennessee game is kind of how Frank Reich wanted the Colts to be, um, where you know, they're strong on defense. They've got a, a really good running game. Um, and then, you know, the quarterback doesn't have to do a lot. What's mind-blowing about Tennessee winning and scoring 28 points is Brian Tannehill was 7 for 14, 50% completion percentage, um, for 88 yards and two touchdowns in the game. Like, that's not a quarter. That's the game. Mm -hmm. Now, to offset that, Derrick Henry had 195 yards of rushing. Yeah. Um, Now, he didn't score a touchdown, which is kind of weird now that I, I look at that but we said this before if Derrick Henry we actually did say this on on last week's podcast is the running game for Tennessee is going to set up their passing game and that's going to be their best chance to score yeah. and sure enough you know they scored their big their big uh, play downfield uh, was a play action pass for 45 yards off of play action uh, for the touchdown to Khalif Raymond, uh, who made a fantastic, ta- fantastic catch. And then, you know, I, I feel like you, ha- but you have to, you have to, you have to go in and address Derrick Henry. Um, so, you know, he averages six and a half yards a carry. So you can't just kind of let him go. You gotta, you gotta fill that box to try to stop him. And right. Tennessee and their coaches did a great job of, of doing it. But it's one of those things where everybody talks up Tannehill and he's been, solid you know but he he does what they ask him to do yeah and nothing more nothing less he doesn't make mistakes and that's kind of what the Colts wanted Jacoby Brissett to be is they they just want him to do what he asked him, don't make mistakes and and they'll be fine they'll be able to run it with that offensive line but boy mm-hmm. if Derrick Henry hits free agency I'll tell you putting that guy behind the Colts offensive line because the thing about it i mean it's worth saying like the tennessee titans offensive line is not better than the colts offensive line so imagine a player a player like derrick henry 6'3 230 or 6 320 pounds he's not a solid man no i'm pretty sure he is he's not 320 he's like that was my joke from last week (laughs) yeah he's like 240 (laughs) but still he's he's basically my size and can almost outrun your entire defense, save for, like, your fastest player, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, again. Hey, Tennessee's I, offensive line isn't good. So, like. No, they're not that good. They, Taylor Lewan, that's, that's what blows my mind, is Derrick Henry's doing this, and the Tennessee offensive line is not great. Like, right. you put him behind a, a legitimate offensive line. Like, seriously, think about this. You've got Quentin Nelson pulling in the open field with Derrick Henry running behind him. <laughs> like the, the whole like defensive backfield just like falls on the ground. They're like, no, I'm good. Yeah, a lot like, of business decisions. Out of the play. <laughs> a lot of business decisions be made on that pull. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, but yeah, I just think. Yeah. And I thought it was funny um, going into the that game. Uh, Earl Thomas was quoted saying, "You know, how do you contain uh, Derrick Henry?" And he said, "You got to hit him in the mouth. You, you know, you got to hit him." And then there's footage of Derrick Henry running free on a play, and Earl Thomas absolutely made a business decision <laughs> and didn't want any part of that train once it got rolling. This play. I remember it. He put a stiff arm on him, turned Earl Thomas around, and Earl Thomas basically became his lead blocker. Right. And, it was just <laughs> and like, that was that's the funny so part funny. about it. He got interviewed saying, like, you got to hit him, you got to hit him in the mouth, and then he stiff armed the shit out of you, and you got turned around and ended up helping him. And then him. you're like, uh, <laughs> where am I? And it wasn't even a big stiff arm. Like, I mean, I, I guess any stiff arm from Derrick Henry is a big stiff arm. Right. But at the same time, you're like, Man, that's you gotta you gotta go try to hit him. You can't like you can't arm tackle Derrick Henry. Um, but and the crazy thing with Derrick Henry is his first two years in the league, he was not good. Like he was a he was a second. He was round a pick. timeshare with uh, Deion Lewis. No, Deion Lewis came later because um, Deion Lewis came from New England. Um, but Derrick Henry was they they tried to feed him the ball. Um, I think I think Dan Lewis came a year or two after Henry got drafted. I might be wrong though. Um, but he his first two years he ran for 1,100 yards total, and then the last year he ran he did nothing for like the first 10 to 12 games of the season, and people were saying like, are they going to cut him? Like he's not he's not who they thought he was. And then he put up just this massive, massive amount of production the last half of the season last year. And then going into fantasy season this year, everybody was saying, oh, you know, what do you do with Derrick Henry? You know, he finished the season so strong last year, but he started the season and he was nothing. What do you do with that? Which Derrick Henry are you going to get? Are you going to get the guy that's not going to show up? Are you going to get the guy that, is King Henry that's going to just stiff arm you into the ground. Uh, obviously, this year you got the latter um, because he was phenomenal, uh, led the NFL in rushing, um, has been a, just the, the best player on the, the Tennessee offense. Um, and that's not even really that debatable, I don't think. Um, but yeah, it's it just his career trajectory is just so interesting. Um, because he didn't he didn't show well to start, and then for running backs it's usually the opposite. Yeah, like, they usually start hot and they and start cool and off. then yeah, and then they they die off after they take so many hits, and he just he just get getting better. So good for him. He's gonna get paid by somebody this off season. Um, okay, so I I'm looking at the data and kind of the story of Derrick Henry, and let's just get it out there. I'm not trying to like argue. It's just like hey, let's tell the whole story. He was drafted in the second round and split carries with DeMarco Murray, his rookie year. Uh, that's who it was. And yeah. his two starts, though. So here's a notable, notable thing about his rookie year. He had two starts and 100-yard rushing games in both games and mm-hmm. had 110 carries for 490 yards, which was sixth among rookies, and five touchdowns in 15 games with two starts. And then in 2017, he again split carries with DeMarco Murray and Marcus Mariota 
but he also had the four longest plays from scrimmage for Tennessee in his second year in the league. And then in 2018, he and Deion Lewis split carries. And then in my best estimate, like I don't watch every Tennessee game. I'm not typically a Tennessee fan. Uh, Deion Lewis Mm -hmm. fell off. And so Derrick Henry kind of had the backfield to himself. Marcus Mariota gets replaced uh, after a one and four start. I'm pretty sure uh, with Ryan Tannehill. Good. Yeah, and and Tennessee says we're gonna put all of our eggs in the Derrick Henry proverbial basket, and boy did he deliver! So really getting his first time to shine as a feature back in the league, and absolutely took that bull by the horns, right? Um, 303 mm-hmm. carries, 1540 yards, 16 touchdowns. Um, yeah, uh, so, he's been fantastic. Uh, however, one of the things that's like a, I don't want to call it a silver lining unless you're a Colts fan, uh, five fumbles. So you will think about that in the future um, when the Colts play and strip Derrick Henry. We'll remember this episode of the podcast where he's run all over everybody, uh, but he has... He has fumble fingers, and we're about to find that out. Um, and something that made me happy, and we're about, we're about to talk about Texans-Chiefs, but during the Texans-Chiefs game, I was reminded the Colts beat the Titans, the Texans, and the Chiefs this past season. And I understand they split with the Titans and, and Texans, um, and that Mariota was a little bang or not Mariota, um, but with the Patrick uh, Mahomes is a little banged up when the Colts played them in Kansas City, um, but it's still stuck out of my brain. Hey, the Colts were absolutely like a within striking distance of being in their position, right? Just a little healthier, a little more confidence out of Jacoby Brissett, uh, a little better decision making, and and we're right in the thick of things in the AFC. Probably probably not good enough to beat Baltimore um, and probably not good enough to meet, beat Kansas City at full strength. But Yeah, well, I, Kansas City I thought was at full strength because Mahomes didn't get hurt until like week seven. Mm-hmm. And the Colts played them in week five. But Tyreek Hill, I think, was just coming back. Yeah. Um, so they, they weren't quite at full strength. And, and realistically, like Nicole Hardman, like once he got things figured out, as he got got along later in the season, he's a different player. Um, but the Colts, I, I thought they they had a, a pretty good game plan against the Chiefs. Um, and yeah, anyway, I don't know how well, that Texans Chiefs game, boy. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk that? about it. So <laughs> so Sunday afternoon, uh, uh, an afternoon unlike any other. Um, in which I believe we both said a similar thing on social media. And by the way, if you're interested in hearing our quips as we go through the off season, you can follow uh, Stephen Nice Read Steve, R E E D S T E V E, and myself at Likely Alien L I K E L Y A L I E N on Twitter, and then. The podcast you're listening to, uh, we mostly will post a link to the podcast uh, at Pod Pancake because it's afternoon pancakes, Quentin Nelson pancakes. People, come on, everybody, figure it out. Okay, so we both posited 
and I saw other people say it too, that Bill O'Brien is the only coach in the NFL that I can think of that in the same game went from, holy crap, you're beating the piss out of the Kansas City Chiefs to coaching your way out of a job. Started off the game. Like, he's the only coach that I could see this happening to. Currently. Because, like, you could see it happen at Pagano. Um, (laughs) But, like... Hey, that that Chicago defense took a significant step backwards this year with Chuck Pagano. Yeah. 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 Mm. It's worth noting. Yeah. Um, I would say he's cancer, but he had cancer, and it just oh, feels like it's in bad poor taste. taste. Yeah. Poor, <laughs> yeah. At least I admitted taste. it up front, right? Like, <laughs> but um, anyway. <laughs> so, getting back to the game, I, I'm, I was, like, at a loss that Houston went up 24-0 to zero, mm-hmm. uh, in, in the first quarter. Like, and to have two games this weekend where there was a muffed punt back deep in the end, deep in the opponent's territory yeah. that the guy just muffs and is recovered by the other team. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it kind of blew my mind. I was like, wow, that's, that's kind of crazy. Cause it happened at Minnesota and San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And then it happened here at Houston and Kansas city. Um, and I thought I go and I go, how it's the first quarter in most situations, this game would be almost over. Right. You know, it's really hard for a team to come back. And then I go, but it's Bill O'Brien and the Texans so against Kansas City. So if there's any team that I have faith is going to completely blow this advantage that they got, it's them. Oh, for sure. And boy, did they blow it in such a spectacular fashion. Spectacular is like well played because um, when Damian Williams caught that ball on his right hip, on the little flare for the touchdown, I was like, oh, this game is far from over. And at that point, it was 24 nothing. Kansas City scores, it's 24-7. Texans are beating the Chiefs all day, har-har. And then, like magic, um, really, the tale of the game, from my perception, is that Houston was never able to just establish the run extend a long drive after their initial burst it's like they put all their energy into their first three scores and then scored 10 points the rest of the way right and including a scoreless fourth quarter right my favorite one of my favorite parts of this like just that screamed bill o'brien was the coach of the texans is the field goal at the end of the first quarter Mm -hmm. um where it's like fourth and one, uh, you know, at the Kansas City. Uh, it's fourth and one, at the Kansas City 13. Mm-hmm. And instead of going for it and penning Kansas City back, he kicks a field goal. I was like, yeah. all right, that's, you know, it's fine, whatever. Take the point, take the points. Right. Uh, I still think you, you should, with Deshaun Watson, a mobile quarterback, you should be able to get one yard. Um, uh, so I agree. That was a, a really, you know, just unfortunate thing. I thought they could have gone up 20 to zero. Well, we've talked about that before, about how, um, you know, obviously I'm being very loose with my assertion, but I've said this pretty frequently this year. Anytime I'm watching a football game and it's a tight contest, well, in this case, it wasn't a tight contest, but an opponent has the opportunity to put their, uh, 
you know, on their throat, their foot on their th- opponent's throat, and really close the door. And instead, they take a timeout or they kick a field goal when they shouldn't, particularly early in a football game or also early in a half. Right. So it happens in the second half of games a lot, too, where you're like, wow, Mm -hmm. they got a big play. They got a, you know, a 30 plus yard gain. They run downfield and they have to call a timeout because they couldn't get the right personnel on the field when you have. And again, we've also talked about among us, Troy Russell, our data analyst, has explained to us that the theory of momentum is simply a theory and it doesn't actually exist. There's no data to suggest that a team has a higher proclivity to score or win after a turnover, for example, that the data does not support that. But on that particular fourth and one, when they lined up to kick a field goal, my brain snapped and was like, they're going to lose. That's a strange feeling when you're watching a football game where it's 21 to nothing and it's 24 to nothing. The brain says this game is over my time is better spent right this outcome has been decided mm-hmm. and kansas city and patrick mahomes and andy reed said not today and scored not 28 days uh... st- straight points to end the first half with a lead 28 24 in a game they were losing 24 to 0 so the first quarter. Yeah. Well, and what what I was going with with peak Bill O'Brien is the very next possession mm-hmm. that the Houston Texans had. They went they, they got a first down um, or they they were on the their own 33 and uh, did a fake field goal or a fake punt <laughs> on, on fourth and fourth and three or fourth and four at the Houston 31-yard line, did a fake punt. So they went for it on the other side of the field right? on a fake punt, but didn't go for it fourth and one on your on opponent's, 13. opponent's 13. Like, that's what blew my mind. And, and like that's, you said... It's like have, you said, it's peak Bill O'Brien, right? Yeah. Like, having but, the opportunity and making the absolute incorrect decision. The, the, the worst decision you could have made... like. They would have been far better off had they just punted the ball and just, you know what, let's play defense. Let's see if we can get a turnover. You know? And so how quickly the wheels fell off oh, for yeah. the Texans is, like, you watch J.J. Watt in the press conference afterwards, and, like, it was deer in headlights. He's like, what happened here? It went by like, so fast. <laughs> they, they were up 24-0 to after the first quarter, and we're down 28-24 to at halftime because yep. of – it, the Chiefs came down, scored a touchdown fast because they had a really good good kickoff return. They got that turnover on down, so they got the ball back at the Houston 33 and then only needed three plays to score. Mm-hmm. The next kickoff was a fumble. They got returned. Uh, the, the kickoff, um, the kick returner fumbled the ball. Kansas City picked it up, ran it back to like the six-yard line, mm-hmm. and then they scored right away. And then like the next possession was a punt. And you give the ball back to Kansas City at this point, who is just rolling. Right. Like, I understand, like, momentum isn't a thing, but it's a thing. Yeah, like, um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not actual. It's, it exists in a vacuum, right? Yeah. Like, 
sure, momentum's a word, and, and also mom- there are moments of momentum within a sporting event that can spurn a better play. But the reality is, the truth of the entire argument is that there's no such thing as momentum. What happens within people is that when one of your friends makes a mistake, you go out of your way to not make a mistake. And you play harder, you work harder and smarter. It'd be like working in an office and one of your colleagues gets fired, right? You are going to do better work as a result of the loss of someone you care about. And when I say loss, I'm saying they got like fired, right? It's just, that that that's not momentum. That's hey, we we fumbled this punt return or this kick return and gave up seven points. We're gonna tighten up as a unit um, and just play better. Uh, the reality, though, is like I said, the first score from Kansas City in the game told me personally where I was like, oh, this game is over. And it's it's something that I haven't seen, frankly, since the Peyton Manning era. And that is a well-placed football and a great instinctual grab, uh, the, the Damian Williams catch. It balls on his hip, uh, on his rear, uh, but it's just a perfect... You could just watch that in slow-mo, and I can tell you that that quarterback-running-back combination, they have more going on for them than Deshaun Watson, Carlos Hyde, for example, which kind of goes without saying because I think we we all said Carlos Hyde, Duke Johnson, these are, these are not good enough running backs to win um, – in, in games where you have to be able to run the football right. And and obviously, kind of goes without saying, if you're playing against the Kansas City Chiefs, you'd much rather see Patrick Mahomes on the sideline. Right? Are you still there? Sorry, again, I thought that was a rhetorical question. <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, like, like you would much rather like, sustain a Yeah, of course you, wanna, you don't want to see Patrick Mahomes on the field because, because yeah, he's, he's, it doesn't matter what you do early. His, he, he just, just like you've been hearing the Colts say, for example, a play at a time, a week at a time, just go 1-0 this week, just get better. When you watch, and, and it just so happens to be on television right now, the Houston Kansas City game is on. Uh, um, what is this? Uh, NFL Network. NFL Network. Uh, they're playing it right now. Um, basically, Houston started off playing their best, and then it just turned into um, their and, worst play. And right? this is something that, like, a lot of those throws that Patrick Mahomes made. There's nothing Houston could have done. Right. Like that. This is why we've talked about traits that quarterbacks have mm-hmm. so much and, and guys that can make make those throws and throw guys open and, and everything like that. And I said, you know, during the game, I said, look, if, if Chris Ballard thinks that like because everybody the, the most common comparison for Jordan Love is like is Patrick Mahomes right at this point, you know, a guy who's got all these, these talented, all these, all these traits that you look for, but is raw. Um, and that needs coached up. And so 
I said, if Jordan Love is even half of what Patrick Mahomes is, that's still tenfold better than what Jacoby Brissett is right now. Yeah. And the reality is, even even if Jordan Love becomes a Colt, you don't have to have him start week one. I don't want him to start week one. And you don't want him to start week one. I want him to sit a year. I, I want him to to do the Kansas City, what Kansas City did with Patrick Mahomes, where they they have like I want Jacoby Brissett to be their Alex Smith, mm-hmm. where he is the he's the bridge. starter to start the season, and and he goes and goes and goes until they're either out of the playoffs or they're in the playoffs. What, what either way, but I want him to to play well enough and, and allow whoever the quarterback or whomever the quarterback they draft is, assuming they draft a quarterback whomever it is to learn and grow in the system and get acclimated to the NFL, because that is what is going to make a difference. You can see so many times with franchises who draft a quarterback first overall or or draft a quarterback early and feel that they have to shove him in because they try to, that they want to win now and GMs and coaches. I understand that because their job is a year to year thing. If, If they have, two terrible years in a, in a row, they might not be there to see the fruition of this player. And so they don't have that patience to let him sit. Like, you know, David Carr, a really talented guy, got absolutely demolished when the Texans took him first overall. Uh, you know, all of these players throughout, like, gosh, guys that just got thrown to the fire and, and having had time to develop properly – Mm-hmm. Like the whole NFL could be different. Like you can see it with Baker oh. Mayfield to a point. Like he would have done well to sit the bench for the first hand. Like he sat the bench for the first handful of games. Yep. And then, and then got in. You know, but like you know, Jackson. He would, I would this. say the same about Josh Allen, right? Yeah, Josh Allen's a good good one to throw in there. How Sam much, how much farther along could he be in his development if he hadn't? had Nathan friggin' Peterman in front of him that posts as if I remember correctly, he posted a, a 0.0% <laughs> Zero passer, yeah. passer rating and they benched <laughs> him. And I think they still lost like 47 to three, but what you saw were glimpses of potential in that game. If I remember correctly, and I don't have a perfect memory of this, but I think he had a run of 20 yards and a pass over 30 yards any in in a short outing that started his career and your brain says wow like he's both mobile enough and smart enough to have like long play potential these are things that you look for in quarterbacks things that we missed with the year of uh Jacoby Brissett here uh well, and the perfect opposite to this is Josh Rosen right like, they threw him to the fire in Arizona and the kid got beat up. Yeah. And, and ruined his confidence. Ruined his confidence. They then they went to Kyler Murray and they traded him. Yep. And traded Josh Rosen and went into Miami and they tossed him in and he got beat up. And then yep. like within two games, I don't even know if it was a full game after they got named he got named the starter, they pulled him. Yep. And went went with uh Fitzmagic. And it was which yeah. which we, which we've decided as NFL fans, if you're starting Ryan Fitzpatrick, it's because the other guy isn't it. Yeah. Um, and it's not a slight on Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's just 
he's played for like five or six teams in the NFL now and hasn't stuck stuck around as a starter, right? So he while he's from Harvard, so he is a Harvard kid, right? And he's certainly capable. Uh, he's just not the long term solution. And it's again, that's not personal. I I think that he has moments of literal greatness surrounded by weeks and weeks and weeks literal fits magic versus like like weeks of fits tragic hey well said so obviously chiefs score put up a 50 burger on the texans in three quarters in three quarters um (laughs) they basically decided that the first quarter didn't count yeah, uh, and still it was almost up. like they were playing cat and mouse. Like, yeah, you know what? Let's let them score 24 and just see what happens. Oh, my gosh. I would be – I can't – well, huh. my wife has told me that if the Colts continue to be terabad, she would doesn't have a problem rooting for the Texans. And, yes, uh, I consider it a divorce, but I still love her so – I get it though. I mean, if I if I were gonna stay in the AFC South and I weren't gonna root for the Colts anymore, I would root for the Texans. I feel like you've so got I'm, to root I'm, for the Texans at that point. I'm just I'm just kidding. Um, but they're also they're like the island of misfit toys. Um, and the crazy part about the Texans is they don't have a first. They don't have a pick in the first 45 picks. Um, first, they bet it all on this year, and they yeah. and they were wrong. And they, I don't think they have a first round pick next year either. No, I, I think they got rid of they don't have a first round pick a first or second round pick this year and they don't have a first round pick next year i don't know if they don't have a first round or a second round pick next year and you do, that means you have to hope that the players and, that you have stick around and you don't end up with any more gaping holes right so obviously yeah. well and then bill o'brien somehow kept power well, yeah, like that is, was the that's mind-blowing after he just traded away all their best assets and yep. Oh man, like and I don't know what he's got on the ownership there in Houston, but it's got to be some good dirt. Because <laughs> he went from like being like how many coaches go from being like a on godsend to uh, fired in a game. Like that was a single game. That's like the the highs and lows, like peaks and valleys there. Of it, Absolutely. and somehow he kept uh, all the all the power, and it just blows my mind. Like agents are gonna eat him for lunch <laughs> when it comes to free contracts. agency oh, yeah. Yeah, and contracts, because they, they don't have anybody there right. to make these decisions. It's just Bill O'Brien, and and he's questionable at best. He's wrong frequently. Yeah. Uh, so moving on, uh, in what was one of the more interesting uh, football games in terms of kind of how it kind of how it played out uh, in a yeah, similar fashion, the most intriguing game. Yeah, I will say it was just an intriguing football game. Um, what we're talking about here is the late game Sunday uh, Seahawks Packers in Lambeau Packers get a win, uh, go to their uh, second conference championship in the last five years, I think. Um Certainly, one of those one of those games where I was surprised how little Aaron Rodgers was the driver, as it were, to this game. Given uh, historically, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is a monster, right? Uh, 
you know, one of those people you just can't stop him. Um, 20, uh, 16 for 27. Yeah. 16 for 27, 243 yards, two touchdowns is a pretty pedestrian day in terms of even other quarterbacks within the NFL. Um, Russell Wilson, 21 to 31, 277 yards and a touchdown, but sacked five times. Uh, so it's pretty fitting for the NFC. And I'm really excited, by the way. It's just difficult to display how excited I am because I'm not a big fan of either team. It's just it's going to be a great football game. Packers, Niners. That That's the two teams that I wanted in yeah. the, the NFC because, like, they are the best teams. And, you know, the Packers getting after Russell Wilson it isn't that surprising. We mentioned it last week um, about Preston Smith and Zedaria Smith. Mm-hmm. Um you know, being able to to get some pass rush on them, and so uh, it was one of those things where you know Russell Wilson was was their offense again. Yep. Um, he had 277 yards passing, and 60 he led them in rushing. It was 64 yards, and and so it's just one of those things where the uh, the game was such a good game. Like it was just compelling yes, to watch. Very, that's a good, that's a good way to say it. It was a very compelling football game. The thing to keep in mind though, as we kind of wind down seasons. So we're literally talking about the end of half of these teams seasons, right? The Seahawks lost primarily because of their inability to run the football effectively outside of Russell Wilson and that's due to injuries. Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, uh, I'm leaving out a guy, but um, they basically are signing Marshawn Lynch, who, if I remember correctly, was slinging tequila in an Oakland tailgate not even a month prior. Yeah. Um, so he said that he did uh, hood training to get himself ready. Went two weeks with uh, one of his buddies. <laughs> uh, and that's literally what he said. So I'm yeah. like, all right, well, or maybe somebody reported it incorrectly but i was like well, that sounds like marshawn lynch yeah um I, I think the only the only bad thing i find with this game is that there isn't going to be a marshawn lynch in the playoffs anymore right because i just find him so intriguing of of a person like he has such Compelling. good things to say if you're if you're like listening to him like dude gives insight and that's it's really cool yeah, it has a pretty rocky relationship uh, with the media, and I'll kind of follow up on what you're saying there. The great thing about Marshawn Lynch is that he comes out for his post-game press conference, and of course, you got to hold your breath when Marshawn Lynch yeah. is at the stand because you never know what he's gonna say. You never know what's gonna come out of that gullet. Uh, and he starts off kind of what I would consider deferring questions about the game, right? Kind of pass, 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 not really interested. Like they, I think they said, um, how, how was your playoff experience? What do you think about next year? And then he kind of just leans back and it was almost as if he was being compelled by the spirits of those before him and just launches into a little over a minute of what I would call sound advice, right? And of course, he says it in a way only Marshawn Lynch can say it, so I'm not going to repeat him verbatim, but basically what he said was, 
what's going on in the locker room right now is a lot of young football players are very vulnerable. They're, they're in an uh, emotional state that's going to make them make some questionable decisions. Fair. And then follows it up by saying, my advice to them would be take care of your money, take care of your body, get some therapy, right? Take care, take of, your, care of your head, your mental take state, your wallet. and understand that this is going to end before you're ready for it to end. And the only way for you to make it, make it, I'm using air quotes, is to make sure that you save up your money and that you take care of your body and your mind. Uh, and I found called it, it chicken. Yeah, take care of your chicken, right? And take care of your mental. He meant money, yeah. He meant your money, yeah. though. That, that's uh, Oakland for, for dough. Um, but I found it profound in its simplicity. Uh, that you don't frequently get that out of Marshawn Lynch. He has a rocky relationship with the media. Uh, if you remember, I'm just here, so I don't get fined. Uh, I'll also remember him for the, uh, I think it was, I'm doing fantastic for an entire interview. Uh, he answered every question with, I'm doing fantastic. And it was, that wasn't the answer they were looking for, but it was Marshawn Lynch, but he, he'd said prior, you know, the media will sell you whatever they want to sell you. No matter what I say, you're going to turn it into something else. And then in what I imagine is his last postgame press conference as an NFL player. And of course, I would be happy to eat crow. And it turned out that he ends up staying in shape, comes back for a full season with the Seahawks. I just don't see it happening. Um, though they get their stable running backs back, they don't need Marshawn Lynch. And that kind of... Now that you've seen him inspire people, you're like, well, every team needs a Marshawn Lynch. Maybe they should hire him uh, as a, like an advisor. The Maybe he could be the shaman for the Seahawks, right? It would be, I like it, that. I like that role for him. Spiritual advisor. Yeah, like a spiritual advisor. Um, yeah. Looks like a Marion Williamson kind of thing. <laughs> absolutely. So uh, how about that being like our first political polling? Feel yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. I, I feel I feel like putting putting our proverbial weight behind getting Marshawn Lynch post NFL employment is like a good boat to be in. Yeah, I feel so confident. So let's kind of look ahead a little. This upcoming Sunday, for the record, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. First, we have at 3.05 p.m. the Tennessee Titans at the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm just going to launch into the ride ends for the Titans. Um, the Chiefs are just unstoppable offensively. I don't think, barring again, some same thing we said last week, if Tennessee's somehow able to start out ahead... And able to clamp down defensively. Uh, here's what I'll hinge this game on. There isn't a team in the NFL that can guard Travis Kelsey. Just like there isn't a team in the NFL that can guard uh, Kittle. And yeah. while Tennessee can well, guard your... your, cor your They have great a great secondary. They, they, they don't have the ability to handle uh, a dynamic pass-catching tight end. And the I problem, just... I, 
the problem I find with with guarding Kelsey is you're going to have to either have a Darius Leonard type linebacker who's mm-hmm. fast and long and lanky, or you're going to have a safety that has to follow him. The only safety that they really could put to follow him is, is Baird. Mm-hmm. And so you're effectively pulling him out from that play, um, from being able to, to drop back and, and cover deep. The problem with Kansas City is they've got those playmakers on the outside in and Tyreek Hill and Nicole Hardeman mm-hmm. that can just take the top off you mm-hmm. with no problem. And so you can't, if they play man on the outside, if Tennessee plays man on the outside, and at any point those guys get beat, it's a touchdown, Kansas City. Yep. And they, they, the reason they were able to, that, that we said that they could keep it close with, with Baltimore is because Baltimore, they're kind of, their offense itself is kind of iffy in that, that it was all focused on Lamar Jackson being able to run and getting him in space. And he was, the reason their rushing was so dynamic is because you had to account for Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Um, and, and so, for the record, he did rush effectively in the loss, 20 carries for 143 yards. Yeah. It's just that you didn't have the 20 yard runs where he goes untouched. And it's something that we'll kind of, we'll talk about in future podcasts is about how, you know, the way the Colts, um, the Colts approach on offense is to uh, uh, wear out the defense um, using the run and using uh, stretching the field horizontally Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the things that we've harped on Jacoby Brissett about is not stretching the field vertically, uh, and not hitting those guys and putting a ball on them and making them make a play. And that's where we see excellence, uh, with, um, Patrick Mahomes is not only, and you know, one of the compliments we have to deliver on Jacoby is that when the play does break down and he has to be mobile, he's actually really good at it. But the problem is, is that he doesn't have the other thing that Patrick Mahomes has, and that's the willingness and ability to just put a ball on a guy and make him make a play. Uh, and so that's what we're looking for if we're going to replace uh, Jacoby Brissett. And like, and like we're saying, and so we want to make sure when, when we're making a solid point, we want to make sure that we repeat that for you. I want the Colts to take Jordan Love not so that he has to start a football game in 2020. I want them to take Jordan Love for a couple reasons that don't involve him directly. And one of them is, I want to pressure Jacoby Brissett. I want to make sure that he understands that while he be he is the highest paid positional player at quarterback on the Colts, he's not irreplaceable. And that he's going to have to show you development and growth, and he can't stagnate. This offseason for Jacoby Brissett, I would argue, is the most important of his entire career. Because I think it's pretty, it goes without saying, he's going to be the starter. And this entire offseason will be devoted towards building the team around him. I think that it also goes without saying the Colts need to draft a pass catcher. Um, they're going to need 
to bolster both their interior offensive line and interior defensive line and their pass rush. Um, so like we, we want to make sure that when we make a point, we, we, we double down and say, yeah, we like Jordan love, not for his immediate potential to impact the roster, but on his future potential. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's spot on is that it's not about 2020. It's about 2021 to 2030. Um, and, and so going back to the, the game, the AFC championship game, Mm-hmm. The reason why I think that Tennessee is in a different position than what they were in Baltimore is because you don't have Baltimore didn't have those dynamic playmakers that Kansas has. They, Lamar Jackson is the MVP was the most valuable player this year. Yes. Um, but Patrick Mahomes is a better quarterback. Oh yeah. Um, and, in terms of throwing the ball, the one thing that that Tennessee could do um, because they run that three four is they could get pressure on Patrick Mahomes. Um, and Kansas City has a, a solid but not great offensive line. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to be, I think, probably going to be the interesting chess play there. If you're you're looking at Kansas City's defense versus Tennessee's offense, obviously Tennessee's offense runs through Derrick Henry. And so the biggest factor, I think, in, in this game on the Kansas City defense versus Tennessee offense side is the health of Chris Jones. Uh, Kansas City's defensive tackle. He missed this past week with a calf injury, but he is a huge, huge component of their defense right up the middle at that defensive tackle, nose tackle position. And him being healthy changes the entire dynamic of the game because no longer are you allowing Derrick Henry to just run ramshot up the middle of the defense. Um, you're able to at least you know make a play. And so... Yeah. What I, I look at this game and I go, all right, you know, the line is seven and a half, I think. Um, and so I say, you know, I I look at this and if Kansas City doesn't take the first quarter off like they did against Houston and they just come in rolling again, this this game could get out of hand really quickly because you know, Tennessee can't put the game in Ryan Tannehill's hand and expect to win. Exactly. That's, that's going to be the biggest thing for me. Like it's the same concept that they had last week. Tennessee is, is if they can control the clock and, and keep Patrick Mahomes off the field, get some turnovers, turn those into touchdowns. Mm-hmm. They've got a shot. Um, but that's like lightning striking twice for them because that's exactly how it happened in Baltimore is they were able to get a fumble. They were able to get pick off um, Lamar Jackson early yeah. and, and able to, to go back down and get some, get two touchdowns to start. Are you ready um, for this? Uh, Tennis- I don't know. Tennessee was able to bottle lightning. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. true. They, and, they, and they did it. Like They did it. That's they the bottled thing lightning. They were able to, like, Lamar Jackson has a flaw. And, and it's he can't throw outside as well. And Tennessee exploited that. Yeah, Patrick he's Mahomes really good like, between the hashes and not great outside of the hashes. And and we mean throwing. Yes. Um, and so like he's really good vertical downfield, like mm-hmm. with play action to get, you know, suck up the safeties, and then Hollywood Brown goes over the top. Yep. Um, Patrick Mahomes isn't that. Patrick Mahomes is great on the move, but he constantly has his eyes downfield. Mm-hmm. Lamar Jackson, when he gets out of the pocket, you almost see him tuck, and so. 
a little early, Patrick, right? Where you're like, yeah. oh, he made he made that decision five yards behind the line, where Patrick Mahomes will wait as long as possible because it Patrick, pulls defenders towards him, right? Because they're like, oh, yeah. he's gonna run, and he and still it, has the ball in the throwing position as opposed to have tucked it like a loaf of bread. The um, perfect example of this is from this past game against Houston. Is you saw Patrick Mahomes with that toe drag um, on the touchdown pass um, on, on the, one of one of his like eight touchdown passes um he did Five. a toe drag to to keep that that foot behind the line of scrimmage so he's con- rather than run it and try to score himself he right. said no I, i'm gonna make my own business decision and i'm gonna try to to get somebody else the ball um and not take the hit and that's the difference is patrick mahomes is still a mobile quarterback and he's accurate he's dynamic he's got huge arm I think he threw it over the wall in Kansas City, like over the stadium. Yes. Um, which is mind blowing. Um, and so people don't understand how big that stadium is. It's huge. And he threw it over over the, the wall. But anyway, that's the difference to me is Lamar Jackson is more of a you can figure Lamar Jackson out. Patrick Mahomes, you gotta keep him in the pocket. So that's gonna be Tennessee's game plan. Try to keep him in the pocket try to make him make a play early so they're going to probably put pressure on him of all different places send a lot of blitzes try to confuse him try to make him second guess and if they're able to do that and slow down kansas city's offense while also getting derrick henry i feel like derrick henry's got to have over 175 rushing yards if they want to have a chance yeah and that and, and that's and that's just that's just in the first half right <laughs> yeah um, yeah the so what we've both said here is I think this is the end of the line uh for the Titans. I project the Kansas City Chiefs will be the AFC representative in the Super Bowl. And if I'd have said that, you know, in the preseason, you'd have said no kidding, way to pick chalk. But yeah, right. here we are. Uh and re- if you remember, I don't know if you remember, when we found out Chris Jones wasn't gonna play, I said, Oh no this opens up an opportunity for Houston to run all over um, Kansas city, yeah. Kansas city. And they were still unable to do so. And that's the credit to coaching. And while we're talking about Kansas city, I'm just going to point it out real quickly, Eric and it's the right? Yeah. The offensive coordinator for uh, Kansas city deserves a head coaching opportunity. I didn't know this. He was a second-team All-American running back in high school, 2,002 yards and 30 touchdowns as a senior at Bishop Amat High School in La Puente, California. He was born in New Orleans, Louisiana. He went to the University of Colorado Boulder, finished third in Heisman voting behind Ty Detmer and Ragib Ismail. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't know that he was... I had no idea that. Like, that was just all... Random facts. Yeah, it's just like holy crap, he's an insane football player, uh, and then has been nothing more than an OC, uh, and has been coaching football since 2001. And I think it's about time uh, he were given an opportunity to be a head coach. And then the second game, the NFC Championship, 6:40 p.m. Sunday. Green Bay at San Francisco. Uh, and again, I think this is the end of the line. 
for the Green Bay Packers because I think that the 49ers are a more complete football team. But in the same breath, I'll also say if if there's one quarterback that I have a hard time betting against, it's Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, yeah. I see. This game to me is more of a toss-up. This game, I think it's a seven-point. Um, Green Bay minus seven. Yeah. Um, is the Green, line on Green this. Bay is a seven-point favorite? No, minus seven. Yeah. So Green Bay. <laughs> they lose by yeah. Anyway. The line's minus seven, San Francisco's favorite. Um, And so the, my thing in this is I, as we've said before, I think San Francisco is the most complete team in the NFL right now. Um, I think if Brian Beluga is healthy, um, because he, he didn't play this past week against Seattle. He had the flu early in the, early in the morning and wasn't able to play this past week. He's healthy. He could help limit that pass rush from San Francisco or help neutralize Bosa. And if they give Aaron Rodgers time, I I have more faith in in Jimmy Graham and Devontae Adams and, and the other players for Green Bay than maybe I have in San Francisco's offense, um, being able to score in Green Bay's defense. Because Green Bay's got a legit defense. And they've got some great pass rushers. So I wouldn't be surprised if Green Bay pulled off the upset here. Um, now, at the same time, you know, San Francisco, again, is the most complete team. But they both were 13-3 and three on the season. Um, if not for uh, Seattle getting kind of jobbed at the end of the season, <laughs> this, this game's in Green Bay. Um, but I, I think Green Bay, I think Green Bay could pull it off. Yeah. Um, that that's almost that's almost who I who I take is Kansas City Green Bay for the Super Bowl over over San Francisco just because I it's so odd too because like San, everything screams it should be San Francisco right right here for me but by, by um, all of, by all appreciable metrics San Francisco should win this football game yeah like Green Bay has got the better quarterback and got the better one wide receiver mm-hmm. um. But and, Aaron, that, and Aaron Jones is and Aaron Jones, yeah, exactly, top. is better running. So the Green Bay's got the better top three skill position players, um, and but like they to me they seem pretty equal on the defensive line, um, and, and the pass rush and their DBs are pretty equal to me. Um, I don't I don't see a, a huge market drop off between Green Bay's investment in the the defensive backfield versus San Francisco's. Um, Richard Sherman has played well, um, and, and he talks a lot, which is fine. He he's played well and can talk, but he deserves it. <laughs> um, okay. But I just I see that being a mismatch for Green Bay, um, in that Devonte Adams should be able to take Richard Sherman and and kind of eat him up because he's such. And this is the thing is he's such a good route runner, Devonte Adams, mm-hmm. that he can, if you've got somebody other than Richard Sherman on him, it's going to be a long day for them, especially if they're trying to play man. And so that's where I, I and you play zone against Aaron Rodgers. That's not a good idea. 
And so, yeah, as I'm sitting here talking through all the different scenarios live on a podcast, or not live, but on on a podcast, uh, I was going, man, this could be, I I feel like I'm going to be Green Bay in this. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, for those of you that are leaning one way or the other, thinking about betting on sports, uh, in no way are we supporting gambling at all. We don't get paid to do that. But we see collectively Kansas City as a pretty clear favorite. I have to feel I feel like it's the end of the road for the Titans. And I'll agree with you after this little conversation here. I have a feeling Green Bay goes into San Francisco and gets gets a big win. And that's of course after San Francisco beat Green Bay in week 12, I think, uh 37 to 8. So Yeah, like and after that game, the um Packers haven't lost. The Packers, yeah. After that They're game, the Packers seven games just, in a row. Yeah, they, it like turned their entire season around. Absolutely. And like, and yeah, like I, I think I, I'm with you on Kansas City. I think is going to beat Tennessee, um, and I, I think it's going to be bigger than the spread. Um, oh yeah. I, I think that it's going to be like a 38-14 kind of thing. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, I don't Agreed. think it's going to be close. Um, this game, I think it's going to be. I think you could be looking at a field goal game on this. And I I think I'd go with Green Bay, something along the lines of like 31-28 right on there, or 34-31. Feels about right to me. Seems about right. Yeah, we'll see. And then moving on a little bit. So let's, let's talk about the absolute pinnacle of amateur sports and i say amateur kind of half-heartedly because now they're all about to get paid but lsu beat clemson 42 25 in the college football national championship last night and what i have to uh start off by saying pretty much cements joe burrow as big dick joe uh which is a hat that he had when he's smoking a cigar the little hat in his lap is monogrammed that says big dick uh joe uh 31 yeah 31 of nick Foles. oh yeah uh 31 for 49 463 yards five touchdowns uh in another one of those games that started out kind of rough for lsu uh, uh reminded me of the the game we just got done talking about, the the Chiefs Texans game, where Clemson was up seventeen to seven. Their game plan uh, was to spy Joe Burrow with Skasky, the middle linebacker that ended up getting kicked out of the game for the dumbest looking targeting call I have ever seen in the entirety of the existence of the targeting penalty. Because about Skalski? Yeah, Skalski, the middle linebacker for Clemson. Yeah. Um, I think we agreed on on Twitter that, yeah, he lowered his helmet, but he hit him in the shoulder, and not in. It wasn't well, helmet he got, helmet contact. He got he got part of the head, but the the issue was that he lowered his head and hit him with the crown of the head. Yes, and, and that in NCAA is that's targeting. Targeting, it's, yeah. Which I, I think this is. I think this is a. I understand the point of the rule, and it's a safety thing. Yes. But to me, 
it makes more sense to have kind of like what the NBA does with flagrant fouls and have a tiered approach to it where you have, you know, a tier one targeting call where it's a 15 yard penalty. And, and if you have like a second one, kind of like unsportsmanlike conduct, you have a second one, then it's an ejection. Um, then you have a tier two on the more egregious form where it's very clear that you lowered your head and you went after the head or neck of a, of a defenseless player. Right. Then that's the automatic ejection. To me, that makes the most sense because you're, you're kicking a kid out for playing hard. And yeah, I understand what he did was illegal and he should have had his head up. He should have had, you know, what the Ray Lewis called that, that kiss that you put on guys when you go and hit them like that. Yes. And, and you put the face mask right in their chest. But he he hit him with the crown of the head. Like, it's it's an ejection, and it stinks. And Clemson really can't complain too much about it because that exact call is what got Ohio State's corner, Sean Ward, kicked out – or Sean Wade, uh, is kicked out of uh, the semifinal game. Yes. Is that because same Ohio exact State. thing. Even – actually, to, to me – the Wade hit was even less egregious than what the Skalski hit was because Wade came in and tried to lift his head up into there and contacted uh, Lawrence's head, mm-hmm. Lawrence's chest and helmet and made the tackle. And I look at that. I was like, at first glance, I go, Oh, that's a pretty good tackle. It wasn't like, I didn't say, Oh, that was a egregious hit. That wasn't anything like that. They might review it. And then they reviewed it and I go, Technically, that's targeting. That right. stinks because you just lost mm-hmm. your second corner. A probable, a shot, uh, he was a, a probable first round pick had he came out first early second round pick at, at worst. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, Clemson's offense started clicking. Weird. You know, Ohio State <laughs> loses a, a round one talent at the cornerback position, and all of a sudden they're able to get some passes off. So I don't think Clemson's in the national t- title game without that penalty. So I have a hard time having them complain about that penalty and losing their middle linebacker when it was targeting and, and the rule stinks, but it is what it is. You gotta, can't do it. Absolutely. As everybody so, knows, I'm a big rules guy. Absolutely. So. <laughs> and, and, and Hey, you got We got, there are rules for a reason. My only real, my only real issue is that I, I, I understand both sides in that from one perspective, we need to eliminate plays like that from your mental vocabulary. Uh, Similar to uh, we don't want line blocking on kick returns. Uh, We don't want blindside blocks. Yeah, I was going to say blindside blocks. uh, You also don't want players using the crown of their helmet as a weapon to injure another player. Uh, and obviously, n- that muddies the intent portion of the play itself, right? Because then you're saying, like, well, now you have to determine if the guy was trying to hurt him. And like, nah, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I can understand where the NFL wants to further reduce head injuries, specifically uh, head and neck injuries, things that are just ugly football plays. Um and that in the biggest game in which Jim Mersey just tweeted 26 million people were watching, including a lot of future college and NFL football players, I'm assuming, 
uh, it's worth uh, worth it to eject uh, Skolski there. Uh, but I agree with you in that I think that it you kind of should get a warning on that play because two reasons. One, he primarily made contact with the shoulder. And two, uh, it changed the outcome of the game in that the LSU offense had been kind of limited uh, because Skolski was in spy on Burrow. Um, and I think Clemson came into the game with a heck of a game plan uh, and were winning the field the field position game and forced LSU. And it, it, costs, it costs you confidence when your offense starts inside its own five-yard line. Um, you're limited in your play call. And one of the things I, I commentated the game last night on hot mic, which will probably be the last football game I, uh, commentate until August. Um, but I really feel like, um, Clemson had the right idea going into it. Um, don't, don't take unnecessary risks with the football, put LSU in bad uh, field position. And I was surprised LSU came out in five wide receiver sets. And I was like, well, that's not playing to your strengths. The strength of LSU is that they have a balanced attack and that Clyde Edwards Hilaire is one of the top 10 rushing prospects in this upcoming NFL draft. And that you can absolutely um, run it, run your offense through him. Uh, but when they start on their own five yard line in the shadow of their own end zone and they line up in five wide, your brain says, well, that's not going to work out well. Cause now the defense knows exactly what's going to happen, right? They're going to pass. Um, and that's just, and that played into the early lead that Clemson had, like I said, oh, they're up 17, seven. Um, but I had said before the game, that if you held my feet to the fire and said, who wins this football game? I said, LSU has more talent on offense and defense than Clemson yeah. does. And that I'd argue Clemson's team was better last year and would have put up a much better fight, uh, than they did last night. And, uh, this yeah, was the right. The most points Clemson had given up since Trevor Lawrence started playing. And one of the funny things about, not funny things, but I said it during my broadcast. I don't remember the last time that I got to t tell someone that barring unforeseen events like injuries, last night we got to watch the 2020 first overall draft pick, Joe Burrow go head-to-head -head against the 2021 first overall draft pick in Trevor Lawrence. I don't know that we'll ever see that again because how infrequently do the best quarterbacks or the number one overall quarterback yeah. prospects play against each other? it's Alabama that makes it to the final. <laughs> right. And they're, like, more of a, they're more of a great team yeah, as opposed outside to... Outside like of Tua, like this is, Tua's the only quarterback they've really had in recent memory that's even been considered to be draftable in the first round 
Um, I was going to say you yeah. qualified that statement well because I was going to say, well, Jalen Hurts, and then you said first round, and it's like, well, yeah. yeah. I'm pretty good uh, at that qualifying stuff. You are pretty, pretty good at that qualifying yeah. stuff. Um, yeah, so I, I watched. The, I was able to watch the second half of the game because um, I have two rambunctious little girls that decided oh. they didn't want to go to bed on time. Um, and so I, I caught the last half, and I caught the Skalski ejection. And I at first I saw it and I said, ah, you know what, I – it's tough, but at the time, you know, it, it wasn't, I didn't think that it was a necessarily a momentum swinger or it was that, that big of a, a thing for, it, it was huge for Clemson to lose their middle linebacker. Um, but at that point in the game, it was, you know, five minutes left, six minutes left in the third quarter and LSU is driving again to score another touchdown already up 20, 25. So they were probably going to score there regardless. Uh, I, I think that's pretty safe to say. Um, and so you're looking at, you know, LSU going up 35, 25 at that point. And then, you know, the last Clemson didn't score again after that. Like, so I, I it sucks that, that he got ejected for that. Um, but you know, it's can't do it. Um, but looking at the, the game, itself isaiah simmons wow yeah dude yes. like he, he you literally like you could say any position and that dude could play it like, yeah i saw someone say last night that if there was a comp for uh isaiah simmons and i can, i saw all kinds uh but some of my favorites were uh tony stark uh <laughs> in that he could pull out any of the suits Right, any of the Iron Man suits. Sorry, that's a really loud laugh into into the microphone. I apologize for that. He could he could literally he could he could literally do it all. Um, Yeah. And Isaiah Simmons made himself some money, and he was already probably going to be a top ten, fifteen pick. I I could see him going four to to the Giants. Oh yeah, he's a top Um, five pick in my eyes. Like I I see him like it's so top five pick. You're looking at either three or four to the lions or the giants, because he's not going to go above chase young and Joe Burrow's going one overall. Yeah. Um, and so he could go that high and it's just kind of mind blowing. I thought T Higgins had a better game, even though he missed part of it, um, playing against LSU and the LSU defensive backs struggled Mm. in this game. Like Fuller had a tough game. Delpit was, his whole season this year has been up and down. Like he's consistently getting projected as a top 15 pick. I, I think he's, he might go back half of the first round. Like just because like you start seeing things over and over and it might be injury related. He might've gotten hurt earlier in the season because they were saying he had ankle and shoulder injuries. Yes. And so that might be it. And a, a fully healthy Delpit might be a massive different than what he played this year if, if he was injured um you saw justin jefferson make some good plays in there um and obviously but it was Burrow. it was the underclassmen that really impressed oh chase night. jamar, jamar chase, chase yeah and justin ross yeah from clemson they both and, and and again using air quotes made themselves some money um in the in the future so these are Boy, guys that are drafted next year chase, chase might He'll shoot up after this. Oh, game. he's. The, like, I mean, he was the best wide receiver 
uh, in college football. He won the award <laughs> for yeah. best wide receiver in college football, uh, but he's only and a sophomore. You could tell. Yeah. Yeah. He's so good. And like, and my favorite part about Chase is a, a receiver, and I'm sure we'll get into this next year, um, but is how late he shows his hands. Yeah. And when I say that, a lot of people don't understand that when DBs are playing, you're playing your man to man. They're looking at your your eyes to see, like, looking at your head to see where you're tracking. Mm-hmm. And then they look at your hands. And as soon as you bring their hands up, they're taught to put their hand in between it to try to break that pass up. Mm-hmm. And so when I say he shows his hands late, he shows his hands at the last possible second mm-hmm. to be able to catch the ball to where the DB doesn't have the opportunity to stick the hand in and dislodge it. And that's a big that's a it's a tough thing to teach um, some wide receivers because for, you know, all their entire life, they've been able to run down the field past people. And once the ball gets close, they just stick their their arms out and they could run for two, three strides with their arms out and not have to worry about anybody taking advantage of it or blocking or getting their hand in there and breaking up the pass in college. And then even more so in the pros, uh, those DBs are taught that specific technique to break up a pass. And so the later you show your hands, the less time a, a defensive back has to make a play on that ball. And you have a much higher likelihood of getting a reception uh, or getting interference if you show your hands late. And then I want to bring up three players that I think made themselves some money last night. And again, kind of saying it har har. Um, Clemson running back Travis Etienne. Mm-hmm. Um, I assume you're going to throw an LSU running back. Yeah, Clyde mm-hmm. Edwards Hilaire. Uh-huh. And then Patrick Queen, the number eight, the LSU linebacker. Oh. Um, I was hoping to see more of uh, Shai San, the edge rusher from LSU last I night. I was going to say, he, his snap anticipation, when he gets it right, his jump is scary. Yes. Like, like that is, that is Robert Mathis level off the snap gone for, yes. to, to put a reference for Colts fans. It's what Robert Mathis, Dwight Freeney, how fast he gets off. If he can put some, some rush, rush moves together, that dude, he could, he's got the, the length and he's got the ability. If he can put some stuff together, he could be a dominant edge rusher. And, you could get him in in the late teens, early twenties, which is way rare for for somebody with that kind of snap anticipation. And the reason I brought up Patrick Queen uh, in their four or five biggest games this year, Patrick Queen had his best games. Uh, and, yep, had eighty five total tackles, three sacks, a fumble recovery, an interception. So. Patrick Queen kind of reminds me of having similar potential to like a Darius Leonard. Um, 6'3", 228, about 230, which is roughly about where Darius came into the league, uh, maybe even a little lean. But like I said last night, and and you w- go back and watch that film, and you'll see eight all over the place. Um, and that's kind of unique for me. I'm not really – I didn't play linebacker, so my, my head isn't naturally looking at – who's in there making making the plays on the ground um but yeah 
felt like Patrick Queen had himself a big game. Uh, Delpit also made a couple mental mistakes, and I would say the similar uh, with um, uh, Christian Fulton. Um, so yeah, so the the LSU defense, but again, you're playing against, you know, the second coming of Andrew Luck, right? So you're playing against so Trevor playing Lawrence. Against Lawrence, and you've got you've got some good wide receivers over there in Clemson. Oh yeah, Justin so, Ross, T. Higgins. Um, uh, yeah. Clemson even had their tight end back that had been injured. Um, so on the one hand, uh, Galloway, right? Yeah. Is that the tight end that they've Brady, missed? Brady, Brady Galloway. Galloway? Yeah, 6'4", so. 240. Um, but he's only a sophomore, so he's coming back. Wow. Uh, Clemson's going to be good next year, kids. Uh, <laughs> I think they're the early line favorite to win. Oh, it. yeah. Clemson's Clemson won Ohio State, too, which is weird since Justin Lawrence and, and Fields are the top two. Or Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields are the top two uh, quarterback quarterbacks for coming out for next year. Oh, so yeah, yeah. And, and like the Clemson, uh, AJ Terrell had an okay game, mm-hmm. like, but at the same time, like you saw him get beat because you're going against you know Jamar, Jamar Chase, Chase, Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson. Oh yeah. And, and one of my favorite one of my favorite plays last night was the uh, LSU, their tight end Thaddeus Moss, son of Randy Moss, Hall of, Pro Football Hall of Famer. Um, arguably the best wide receiver of all time yeah yeah i'd put that in there um think for a second i was like well you know jay rice but randy moss yeah he'd be right up there um but one of my favorite plays from him was i think it was a third down play and burrow was rolling out and Mm -hmm. it, it was just he kept kept the play alive and moss went one way came back circled around the the back judge uh, so the guy that's in the middle of the defensive backfield used him as a semi pick, got free from the defender and ran to the sideline to get to the ball for a first down. And I was like, that's just brilliant to use the official uh, as a mini pick to give yourself a little separation. Cause like the defender doesn't want to run into the official. Um, and if he does, that's even worse. Oh yeah. And so it, it was just like a clever little play. And Thaddeus Moss is a junior, I think. So if he wanted to come out, he could. Yep. I don't know if he will. He had a great game. Five catches, 36 yards, and two touchdowns. So. It, well, one of his touchdowns, uh, I thought, it was because I played uh, quarterback, tight end, defensive end. So tight ends are kind of up my alley. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, run, he runs uh, post corner stop for the second <laughs> touchdown. And I just thought, wow, you don't usually see a post corner stop out of a out of a tight, tight end. end. Yeah. Usually, usually you do that with your slot receiver because you want him in space. But in the goal line, and you even watch the defender, the outside corner thinks that he's got Moss covered. All he has to do is backpedal. But because of again, great play call, um, credit to the LSU offensive coordinators uh, for turning uh, uber talent. And I hate using words like Uber, um, but uber talented offensive personnel and also dynamic play calling offensively uh, and absolutely showcased uh, for me uh, again. And I I hate to kind of use the term, but we're overusing it for sure. But in terms of making themselves some money, Thaddeus Moss, turned himself into a draftable prospect 
um, with that kind of showing in the national championship. And like you said, if he wants to come out, he can. I think that there'll be interest there. I think it's smart for them to come out, like for him to come out after having a big game. Mm -hmm. For this reason, Joe Burrow's entering the NFL draft. Right. So he's not going to have that top quarterback there. He's not going to have the number one pick there to throw in passes. Mm -hmm. And for, you know, a a pass catcher, got to have have somebody there to throw you the ball. (laughs) And I know that, again, Mr. Obvious on it. But <laughs> it's really, really important. You know, as you can you can tell, it's the quarterback makes a huge difference. And then let's kind of step away from games past and talk about something that we wanted to talk about last week, but we also wanted to let it flesh itself out fully. Uh, and that's coaching changes in the NFL. Um and I'll kind of go off an article I'm kind of looking at that has them all listed. Um, first, Baylor head coach Matt Rule announced as the replacement for Ron Rivera uh, for the Carolina Panthers. And I have to just kind of go out on a limb and say, uh, of any of the potential NFL head coaches, I like the pairing of Rule and McCaffrey the most. Uh, I think you'll see McCaffrey have just a dynamic year in uh, 2020. Just because of the way he'll be used. And obviously, I think that also means that Carolina is going to draft a quarterback. Um, Yeah, well, and I don't know if they will or not. But, like, I really like that pair. I think that was probably my favorite hire. Yes. Um out of the, the group um, just, and it's interesting because Chris Ballard, you know, bring this back to the Colts brought in Matt rule for an interview as the secret interview um, that nobody wanted to get out. But Chris Ballard brought him in two years ago when, after he fired Chuck Pagano and everybody lambasted Ballard for it. Like, yeah. Oh, what's he doing? He bringing in this Baylor guy. When all this nonsense, Turns out that he might have been the best best option uh, as a head coach out of any of them that were available. Oh, yeah. And then on that note, Ron Rivera, and this is my second favorite hire of this class, Ron Rivera named as head coach of the Washington Redskins um, to fill in for Jay Gruden. Um, But, yeah, um, the the disciplinarian – coming into what I would call like a very talented offensive system uh, and having the second overall pick, which we, again, we've been saying for a while is going to be Chase Young, who is uh, a generational talent uh, at the edge position. Should clarify, Uh, he's this year's generational talent. This year's generational, because it happens every year. Um, Yeah, literally. um, So, yeah, uh, obviously – in my eyes, two home run hires um, in Ron Rivera and Matt Rule, Carolina and Washington, respectively. And those don't necessarily. Yeah, I, I really do think it's one A, one B. Agree. That. And I yeah, don't. Ron... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that those those things don't necessarily impact the Colts because those are NFC teams. But it's worth talking about in the context of, hey, 
for all those people that aren't quite on the Chris Ballard bandwagon, Chris Ballard interviewed Matt Rule two years ago. And it's worth keeping that in mind that you really do. We really do have one of the best GMs in the business. And then so ahead of the curve on that. And and like the Rivera hire, like I really wanted Ron Rivera to go to Cleveland because (laughs) I think that he would have been, I think he would have been a perfect fit for Cleveland Mm -hmm. um, because he's, he's got that like loose, like gamble. And they call him riverboat Ron because he takes gambles. That's mm-hmm. kind of the perfect pairing, but he's also kind of a disciplinarian. Mm-hmm. So you can get that locker room back in check, but also right. like have fun and, and take chances and, and have an exciting, exciting team. Mm-hmm. And so I'll be interested to see, to see how he does with the Redskins. I think it's a perfect hire for the Redskins because, right. you know, Dan Snyder needed somebody like that. Mm-hmm. I, I think Bruce Allen also got, got axed uh, as well. And so that might be the bigger thing for Schneider mm-hmm. is that he was able to move on from Bruce Allen because Bruce Allen was holding that franchise back and, and just catering to Dan Snyder and telling you he was a yes guy. And you can't have that in the NFL uh, if you want to be successful. And so I'm excited for the Redskins um, and, and the Washington franchise and see how they do. Uh, with Ron Rivera and an actual coach and an actual GM that knows what they're doing. <laughs> and then speaking of coaches, GMs, owners that don't know what they're doing, the, the Dallas Cowboys next, the Cowboys <laughs> hired uh, Mike McCarthy, the former. How did you know that was coming? Um, they hired Mike McCarthy, the former Green Bay Packers head coach. Uh, I think he took a year off, he um, did. but he won a Super Bowl in 2010. Um, he had a winning record in the playoffs. He, he had a pretty stellar regular season record too, but he also had Aaron Rodgers. So (laughs) he had a, he had a, he had a great, um, he also helped groom Aaron Rodgers, um, and and develop him as a quarterback. Mm -hmm. Can I throw something out there? One of my favorite lines from this weekend or from the head coaching things, it's going back to the Washington yeah. Was Dan Snyder opening the press conference and saying Happy Thanksgiving, everybody? Um, <laughs> in January? Yeah, in January. Missed a couple holidays, but that's okay. Um, okay, so back, sorry, I had to get that out there. Um, <laughs> so McCarthy, I think, is a good fit for Dallas. Um, this kind of, the, the hire itself was really fast, so it was weird. Um, because, like, Jason Garrett's contract expired, so Garrett wasn't fired. Um, but they just kind of left him dangling. And normally you don't, you know, leave guys, you know, you let them know what's going on. And the Cowboys went ahead and interviewed Marvin Lewis and then Mike McCarthy. And I thought it was just interesting that they were so quick to hire McCarthy. I think it's going to be a good fit. Um, now, I do wonder what they're going to do with the defensive scheme, because I believe McCarthy's brought in his defensive coordinator and they're going to flip uh, to more of a three, four defense. Uh, mm-hmm. They, they ran a four, three. So that might be an option for, for the Colts um, to, to possibly try to poach off some players and trades. Or if the Cowboys end up cutting a couple guys, it might be an option for them to pick up some, some players there. But yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. I, I'll be interested to see how Mike McCarthy does 
down at Dallas just because Jerry Jones is so involved. Yes. That it kind of the worst thing that happened to Jerry Jones is he won early um, with Jimmy Johnson, and ever since then he's been meddling. Yes. And Where, it's been. Yeah. Speaking speaking of Jimmy Johnson, one of the more emotional uh, things, um, and I I don't know if I agree with the process, uh, but as a fan, these were things I thought were no brainer. Uh, but on air. Um, the Hall of Fame guy uh, put Jimmy Johnson in the Hall of Fame, um, and, and also and put Bill Cower in the Hall of Fame while they're on national television. And I kind of thought that was a little questionable, but at the same time, well, kind of a given. Thing. I thought I thought doing it on on live TV, I can understand why you'd be like, oh wait, what happened? The interesting thing is most of the guys had their friends and family there already. Um, like Cower had his wife and his daughter there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when they do actually do these Hall of Fame announcements um, and they tell these players, all these guys are in hotel rooms. Right. And the guy walks around, knocks on the door, has these cameras already. So it's not like it's a huge difference. Right. It's not like they, do it. they like normally do it better, right? <laughs> yeah. Like they, they normally record it. So then they've got the the reaction so they can see like the emotion of these these icons of the sport and see them break down and see that they're human um to see that you know you know it's okay to like let it go right um to to pull a line from frozen um (laughs) but yeah i just thought it was interesting um yeah, to, to see i I thought it was cool to to see both bill cower and jimmy johnson and see their their initial guttural reactions to being told they've, they've been they're going to be inducted in the Hall of Fame. I thought it was really cool. And then the New York Giants announced, and this was, you know, one of a, a cadre of questionable hires, right? Um, Joe Judge, uh, and again, this is part of that coaching tree, uh, the Bill Belichick coaching tree, Joe Judge was the special teams coordinator and added wide receivers coach in 2019 for the New England Patriots. Uh, Wide receivers weren't very good, by the way. Wide receivers weren't very good. So it kind of makes me wonder what on his resume stood out other than that he worked for Bill Belichick and is able to repeat Bill Belichick's talking points. I I'm going to wonder about the New York Giants uh, in the NFC for a while. But again, as Colts fans, these these things don't necessarily directly impact the Colts. Um, I thought it was interesting with Judge is he's only like the third special teams coordinator to get hired. Like, I think they added a wide receiver coach mm-hmm. to his thing just to make his resume a little bit better. The special teams coordinators don't typically get those interviews. Um, right. or, or don't don't typically get hired. Like Dave Taub from Kansas City is a, is a prime one. Uh, the only ones in recent memory was John Harbaugh, and I think Bill Belichick um, was a special teams guy. And so I don't know whether he was special teams when he got hot. Again, we go back to the Bill Belichick getting hired away from the New York Jets by the New England Patriots under the table kind of situation, so that's kind of weird. But, um, yeah, John Harbaugh is the only one in recent memory um, from the Baltimore Ravens that I can pull from that was a special teams coordinator before becoming a head coach immediately before. 
but I have no idea how this guy's going to do. Like he's 38. Right. He's a young dude. Um, and I, I don't, I don't know. It'll be interesting. I, I'm really excited for the Giants that they were able to get him on a plane and get him to sign a contract. Um, because that's always a, a questionable thing with New England coordinators. Har, har. They'll actually do that. Um, so yeah. that, that might have been the biggest accomplishment, the biggest hurdle to clear is actually getting him on a plane with a pin in his hand to sign. And then the latest hire yesterday, the Cleveland Browns named Kevin Stefanski, the offensive coordinator from the Vikings, um, as their uh 18th head coach in the past um, three years yeah also partial mostly accurate right um <laughs> so similar to joe judge except with a little more uh credibility in his resume um Stefanski's only 37 so you're seeing sort of a youth movement um at the head coach position in the nfl uh, where the issue that I have is that these guys will, to these players, come off more like an older brother as opposed to like a father figure. And I'm mm-hmm. not saying that like people under the, like yeah, people, I'm not saying that tongue in cheek. I mean it like a lot of these, here's the issue that I would have with hiring like a young ish head coach is that. Every person that makes it to the NFL has been the it guy wherever they were for most of their life. And that whole can't tell me nothing um, attitude that a lot of these players have uh, is going to be an issue when you hire a young head coach, reigning in the locker room, as it were. Um, so that would be my concern, with the exception being, in my eyes, Matt Rule, who I think has the chops, the the, the guts, the balls, as it were, um, to move a program forward, because he has a track record of doing that with Temple, Ooh. with Baylor, uh, and Baylor amid scandal. So that's something that is particularly impressive uh, is that, man, Baylor had it bad and he, and he righted the ship uh, through controversy and, and was successful as a head coach. And I think he'll do the same in the NFL because just like just like uh, college football in the NFL, these organizations have um, crazy things happen all the time. Fair? Yeah. Absolutely fair. And you need a guy that's steady at the helm. So my my questionable hires, Joe Judge and Stefanski. Uh, my... Here's the thing with Stefanski, though, is he just lost to Shanahan, and I think they shook hands afterwards. So so he's touched greatness. He's touched you know, Kyle Shanahan. So, I mean, what better thing to put on your resume than that right then then we may have swapped uh, dna now um, one of the things that I, I do like with this browns hire is not necessarily the hire itself but the people they didn't hire mm-hmm. um and so obviously pat's offensive coordinator mcdaniels was in the running um but josh mcdaniels uh didn't actually get the job um 
uh, interesting thing with Josh McDaniels is like he didn't really interview for a lot of the opening spots, despite there being some like big, big name teams out there with the Giants and and the uh, Cowboys uh, and, and the Redskins all having openings. And so and I don't and Carolina is lesser to agree, but um, I don't think he interviewed with the Giants either. He might have. Um, but I just thought it was interesting. And then uh, the other part was the Robert Soleil or Salah Soleil. Uh, um, Soleil, S-A-L-E-H. Yeah, Soleil, the 49ers defensive coordinator. The, the reason why I was happy that he didn't get the job is because Ed Dodds, Colts assistant GM, was going to be the lead candidate candidate to take over as the GM of the Cleveland Browns if Soleil got the job. And so I was excited for that. Um, and, and it's interesting because the Cleveland Browns did request an interview to uh, request uh, permission to interview at Dodds and at Dodds politely declined um, or respectfully declined the interview and said, I don't want any part of that dumpster fire. Um, I think that's what he said. Uh, yeah, that's what uh, I would have it said. It might not be a quote, um, but I, I'm close enough paraphrasing there, but I'm pretty sure that was close. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you had that. And so I was excited for Chris Ballard to keep his right hand man again. Um, that, that's a big thing. Um, and and it's what we've been saying all along with Ed Dodds is he's not just going to take any position. And he said this before is you get one shot really at being a GM. So you don't want to walk in with the plates already burning down. Like, you want to walk in and get an opportunity and have the ownership like they have here in Indianapolis that are fully supportive, that will let you do your job and that won't sit there and hamstring you from day one. Now, one of the interesting thing is um, the Colts uh, defensive backs coach is rumored to be a leading candidate to go to the Browns as the defensive coordinator. Um, and so that would, that would open up a position as the defensive backs coach. Several of us have noted that, Chris Richard, um, the defensive backs coach for formerly of Seattle Mm -hmm. and then of the Cowboys this past year, his contract was not renewed uh, either. And so he's become a free agent. So I'd like the Colts to look at him. Uh, Also, uh, Dave, I think it's Dave Fair, uh, the Colts defensive line coach has taken a job in Carolina. Um, and so the Colts will be looking for a new defensive line coach. A lot of us were uh, wanting uh, Mike Fair is his name. Um, right. Took the job at Carolina, and uh, a lot of Colts were looking, hopefully, to get Rod Marinelli uh, again at the Cowboys. Uh, it looks like he's actually going to go to the Oakland Raiders, who just fired their off or their defensive line coach uh, Buckley. Sorry, mm-hmm. that right? I'm messing up names today. It's not not like me. Um, so yeah, so Brent Brentsley, I think is uh, Buckner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that they fired Buckner uh, in Oakland, and the interesting thing with that is I don't know whether he has any ties to anybody here in Indianapolis, but that Oakland defensive line overachieved this past year, and he was instrumental to the development of Max Crosby mm-hmm. as a, a defensive end, and so. I'd be interested to see what, what Chris Ballard does uh, to fill those holes and see who he brings up. I think Chris Richard would be a, a great option. The other guy that um, I would like to see the Colts kind of reach out to is uh, uh, 
Filippo. Oh, uh, Filippo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he's uh, was the offensive coordinator for Jacksonville this past year. Uh, was a quarterback coach for Frank Reich at in Philadelphia when Frank Reich was the offensive coordinator. And so I think that would give him an opportunity to come in and be a quarterback's coach again. And since the Colts are actually in the process of likely needing to develop a quarterback, I think it would be a great hire from there if he'd be able to do it or if Absolutely. he'd be willing to do it. Absolutely. And then what we want to do last is talk about the future um, as it refers to Stampede Blue. Um, as most of you know, uh, this time of year is hashtag draft season, but also hashtag draft guide season. So outside of merchandise like T-shirts that have our logo on it, uh, one of the very few things that we actually charge for at Stampede Blue is our annual draft guide. Uh, and that research has already started. So I know that I've seen several colleagues. Zach Hicks is already interviewing players and he's already doing film work and he's putting up some awesome stuff. Jim Ursay retweeted Zach Hicks this past week. Um, and then we're going to start doing our research uh, on, uh, you know, each uh, an individual will take a position group. Uh, we'll look at the top 20 or so prospects and grade them. Uh, and we will present all of that information in a, a finely tuned draft guide. And really, the draft starts in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, and this time next week, so the 21st, starts the the 2020 Senior Bowl at Ladd Peebles Stadium, home of the University of South Alabama Jaguars. Um they play a bowl game here every year. It's just a really nice stadium in the very southern tip of Alabama uh, in Mobile. Uh, and Colts, well, Colts staff will be there for sure. Every NFL team will be there. Um, but more importantly, Stampede Blue uh, staff will be there and have press credentials so expect out of Stampede They'll Blue. They'll also sign autographs for you. Yes, and you I expect Chris Shepard to have a line of people wanting his autograph. Um, yeah. But uh, we want to make sure we bring that up in our podcast because we will actually have Stampede Blue staff members in attendance for media day to watch them practice, to watch them do drills, to watch in the game. And this uh, might be the most talented senior bowl I've ever seen. Agree. Um, Hard agree. You've, you've got just, just looking at the quarterbacks alone. Um, you've got Jalen hurts, uh, Justin Herbert, mm-hmm. Anthony Gordon, Jordan love all right. there, willing to battle it out. Um, so I think somebody said Joe Burrow could go and just sit in the stands. Cause he didn't have anything to play for. Well, he's uh, he's also a junior, so he doesn't qualify uh, for the senior bowl, I don't think, because you have to either be a senior or you have to have be graduated. a junior but have graduated. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. so the other the other two quarterbacks are Shea Patterson and Steven Montez. Um, and so I'll be interested to see that quarterback battle because the, the Colts, if Justin Herbert and Jordan Love really kind of show out, you're gonna look. Colts fans are gonna be a lot more open to the idea of taking Jordan Love at 13 than maybe what they were before. 
you look at the um, the cornerback group is pretty good. Um, I believe you got Christian Fulton coming in, and and there, it, it, you've got a lot of, of, of pretty decent talent coming in for it. And again, the the one thing with the Senior Bowl that that's tough is, like we said, is they don't have they don't allow those underclassmen to be there. I, I believe that's that's right. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, so I have to correct you. Joe Burrow graduated from Ohio State in three years and was a graduate transfer to LSU. Oh, so he could come. He could come and go. Yeah, that's why I made the comment that, like, holy crap, Joe Burrow could go and just sit in the stands because he doesn't I have any. I didn't realize like, he graduated from Ohio State. I thought he huh? I thought he transferred from Ohio State early. No, he's, down in. he's a grad transfer. Oh. Um, so, yeah. So the. In terms of actual talent at the Senior Bowl, har har, uh, Joe Burrow could go. Uh, Jalen Hurts, Justin Herbert, Anthony Gordon. Uh, there's just a mess of talent, and that's just at quarterback. At the defensive uh, line position, you've got Javon Kinlaw, Neville Gallimore, Lakey Futu, Raquan Davis, mm-hmm. um, all right there. Those are some. Those are like dudes. the top four defensive tackle. Probably. Outside of Derek Brown. Right, like that's pretty much your top, top four, top five. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you you got some some good talent in there. Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited for for the the Stampedes. I will not be down there. Uh, my daughter, uh, her birthday is next week, next Tuesday, and so I would be remiss to uh, go down there and miss my daughter's birthday. So, no, you know, that's that's that's, that's not the play. Uh, so yeah, that's for for long term investment in life. Uh, I am not going down this year, yeah, uh, and probably the, won't be right going idea. down anytime in the, the the foreseeable future either. Um, but yeah, I, I wish you guys the best. It's going to be a lot of fun down there. You're going to get a lot of great interviews, I'm sure. Yeah, and that's pretty much all we have. Uh, obviously we, 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 we ran through the gamut of topics for you. Uh, understand this is a Colt centered podcast, but we're kind of in the off season. Uh, so what we want to make sure we do is talk about what's going on in football. Uh, and we, we did, we covered the divisional round. We noted, you know, the Colts beat three of the four teams, uh, left over in the AFC after the Titans, uh, beat the Patriots and Ravens. Um, they beat them all. They beat the Chiefs. I'm they just beat so the Texas happy. And I'm just so happy that Tom Brady's not that they got beat. Tom Brady and, and I know the Patriots it's two weeks. not being there makes yeah, it, it, and it more was two watchable. weeks ago. Yeah. Like, and, and then now you know Russell Wilson not not being in there. Yep. And, and like, I don't mind Russell Wilson. I think he's a you know I, I like their color scheme in Seattle. Agree. Um, and so I think it's really catchy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like Phil, Pete Carroll and what they do. I almost call him Phil Carroll. What's with me today in names? What's with you in names? Seriously. Well, we've been at it on. for a couple hours, so. Yeah. Well, it's been a whole thing. Maybe I need to. Maybe I need to eat more, more protein. Drink, drink water. Yeah, I'm drinking water constantly. <laughs> it's crazy. But yeah, um, we, so, we we talked about the divisional round. We looked ahead to the conference championship. We went over the college football championship. We went over coaching changes in the NFL, uh, and then we kind of looked ahead at what our schedule looks like. So 
Stephen Reed and I typically put out a podcast every Tuesday, uh, with the exception of Christmas, the week of Christmas. We both just had to travel, families. Stephen has kids. I have pit bulls, so it's not the same for me. Um, but yeah, so we're going to try to do this even in the off season. Um, but we want to make sure that we, we tell you what we're up to, right? So that you have a, a good idea of what's going on. So I would look at Stampede Blue. Uh, you're going to see some more player interviews in the next week uh, and some change all the way leading up to the Combine and thereafter. Um, we'll do some film work uh, on potential uh, guys that we draft. Uh, and hopefully draw the attention of the Indianapolis Colts who are, are going to buy and or hire all of us to work for them and pay us handsomely for our research because uh, that's the ultimate goal is to get to the big leagues, right? Um, but yeah, uh, we appreciate uh, all of our listeners. Uh, when you listen to our podcast and you enjoy it, you make sure that you rate us uh, as high as I'll let you rate us, if you will. Five uh, stars. Five stars. That'll help us Ooh. be found more frequently uh, in the algorithms. Um, I and think you for the second second rated Colts podcast. Outside of who's the first rated Colts podcast? Colts. Oh, the Colts have a podcast? Literally the Colts. Yeah. It's Colts well, something. Yeah. They should have a good podcast. They have good so They have a good media group. Yeah, <laughs> Taylor's great. Yeah, all those guys and Andrew Walker, there. Yeah, yeah Jeffrey Absolutely. Gorman, the whole the whole group. Jake okay. Arthur, formerly of Stampede Blue. Yeah, former Stampede Blue guy is now a contractor for the Colts. So yeah, yeah, a lot of good things going on in Colts land. I, again, I've been saying it all along. The future is what we're looking at, and it's potential. It's not right now is not nearly as important uh, as what the future holds for the Colts. Uh, great draft class coming up, going to be able to fill a lot of needs uh, and really bolster a team that all things considered might've just been a kicker away from being a playoff contender. Isn't that crazy with Adam Vinatieri on your roster? That yeah. real, really, like if you'd have just three, gotten three, three kicks go his way. And then the Colts are probably looking at 10 and 10 and six and in the playoffs. Interesting. Tennessee's not in the playoffs in that, that situation, which is crazy to think given how it's played in the AFC championship game would not be in the playoffs. If Anna Van Terry had made a couple kicks early in the season, just something to nibble on. So this has been Jared and Steven with afternoon pancakes, episode 28. Follow us on Twitter. Mm Mm-hmm. At Jared's, at Likely Alien, myself, mm-hmm. at Nice Read Steve, R E E D. And uh, follow the podcast at Pod Pancake. And have a good week, everybody. Go Colts. <laughs>